and welcome back to the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast. It has been a very long and completely unforeseen but much needed study break and now that exams are over, I am back. So if you never listened to this podcast before, um, it is all about health and food and there are many professionals out there who know an awful lot more than I do about these things and these are the people that I have very many questions for. Um, it is my search for an answer to how can we achieve healthy body and mind with the resources available to us locally. And I'm looking at what we can do to improve our health and what and how we eat to support it. Um, my guests come from a variety of fields and diverse backgrounds and I have a lot of valuable information to share to provide us with the tools we need to lead a healthy, happy lifestyle that is personal to each and every one of us. I ask them about their work, their passions, their lifestyles, and we share cooking tips and plant-based recipes we can easily make at home. As the podcast title suggests, we are on a farm today, although to be honest, it does not happen very often. But um, I am happy to be outside again, uh, to be on, an, on another organic farm at Helens Bay in Northern Ireland, and welcome the founder of Hahu Organics, Birk to the podcast. Hi Burke, welcome. Hi Susanna, thank you. It's a privilege to be here and to be able to share my story. I am the one who feel privileged because you've given me a really lovely tour around mm. your wonderful uh, market garden and this is so beautiful. You have so many mm. beautiful things going here and the flowers are absolutely gorgeous and the trees yeah. and uh, the sun's shining today which is a bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. I feel I feel very lucky to be working here. It's it's an amazing place to be and to listen to all the birds or the cows and <laughs> the cows uh, yeah, well, yeah guys if you if you hear the cows in the background i'm really sorry burke try to um tell them to be quiet but you know they don't really care about recording podcasts so sorry. they want to be on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to have their input <laughs> um so um where do we start there's so much to to go through so much i want to know but do you know what i do have to ask you where do you come from and what made you start an organic farm in Northern Ireland? I absolutely love your name. So tell me about yourself. Yeah, yeah so um, yeah, so my name is Brooke and uh, I am born and raised in Ethiopia and in the capital city in Addis. So I'm pretty much a city boy and was not near a farmer. Um, but I studied agriculture in my life and my first degree was in animal science. And then I did a master's in dairy science and um, I lectured in dairy science for, for a few years in Ethiopia before I came here. And now you grow vegetables. I grow vegetables. <laughs> it's, it's a wild world <laughs> to, to get here. It's, uh, it's, it's quite, um, it's, it's just a life journey it just gets me here. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to see, to be here. And I just don't know where I'm going from here. And that's, uh, that's good. So, um, so in 2013, I met my wife, Suzanne, in, in, in Haramaya is a university I used to work in and she was a volunteer there and uh, we met and uh, we fall in love and we got married in 2013 and I moved here in 2014 and from then on um, I was here I have I have left my profession and I didn't know what to do and I was working in call centers for, for a few years and then I decided to do a master's uh, in Queen's University and um, and that was also like quite uh, quite instinctive 
One, because I, I applied for advanced food safety first. And then I thought, what if I don't get this? I need a backup plan. So I applied for sustainable leadership for sustainable development. And then I got pause, offered pause. And I just sat down and say, oh, I don't want to do advanced food safety to, to work in a lab or something. I just want to make a change somewhere. So I just like, I like the idea of sustainable development. So I just want to study that. It was very an instinctive decision. That was my second choice. But in that little moment, I just thought, this is what I want to do. And alongside that, I learned gardening, just planting tomatoes. The tomatoes are my first uh, plants I have ever grown. I love them so much. I water them so much. I fertilize them so much that I kill them <laughs> the first year. <laughs> so it was a disaster, but I was not dis 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 discouraged by it. It was, it was very interesting. So I was doing the gardening alongside at my home, and then I started to study this course. And this course was life-changing. It, it was... Um, when I study dairy science, like from an African background, we always aim the Western ideologies. So we just try to put this uh, intensive farming on, how to feed them, like all those ideas. But now in this course, I start to see sustainable development. I start to see whatever we try to do is not going to work. So I start to explore things. And then and then through the magic of YouTube, I learned a lot. I started to follow people. I started to follow Charles Dowding and then regenerative agriculture and permaculture and Richard Perkins in Sweden. So all those guys, I just started to follow and it was another world and it was an amazing world to be in. So I started following those guys up and then I became a veggie grower slightly. Uh, the second year after the tomatoes, I bought four tons of horse manure composted <laughs> to our house <laughs> and, and I changed oh my god how big is your garden how yeah. big is your house <laughs> we have a little bit of space so it was it was a big lawn so I thought who needs a lawn then I converted half of the lawn into three Nordic beds with the horse manures <laughs> uh, and uh, that was my start and I tried to grow so many things that year uh, following Charles Dowding Nordic methods um, and it was successful and it was amazing and and one thing I realized is that it is so simple. And that's the message is that it is so simple. And the, the principle is simple. All what you do is very simple, but we fear a lot, a lot of things. And that gives birth to Hahu Organics. And Hahu Organics, so Hahu means, um, it's like, it means ABC. Hahu are the first two letters of our, uh, the first two alphabets of our, of our Amharic language. So ha, H sound is the first one, and then there's replica. So hahu, he, ha, he, he, ho. And so hahu is equivalent to ABC. In Amharic, you can say it's a hahu means it's so basic. Uh, it's just, you know, back to the basics. It can also be a fresh beginning. I started from ha. You know, just, you can say that in Amharic. So hahu, I, I, first thing is it was new for me. I was a livestock professional and now I'm trying veggies without having any education background of it. Um, and also it was my realization that whatever we fear growing is so simple and is so basic. So the first thing a person should realize is that there are no rules. Everything is simple. If you have seed, if you have water, if you have soil, if you have sun, you get results. Then what is the result? Is it too big a carrot, a small carrot? Or 
you know, it differs in your management after that. But you're definitely going to get the results. And those results are really fascinating because there is abundance in nature. So you might fear in spring, but when you see it in summer and when it grows, you just think, why was I even worried about this? And so that is, that's how I started How Organics. You can get, I feel that you can get really overwhelmed at the beginning with, because mm. there are so many things that you can grow each season and it can yeah. get really over what will I choose especially if you have limited space but obviously yeah. here you don't you can plant whatever you want wherever yeah. you want you have amazing I, I wish our listeners could be here with us because this space it is amazing it is the walled garden and it is a Santra so you literally yeah. I mean you grow tomatoes outside like how many people yeah. can grow tomatoes outside in Northern yeah. Ireland it's like you don't do that in Northern Ireland not yeah. in this climate <laughs> and yet you have tomatoes outside you have loads of crops that I would not even think of growing outside here and you have the herbal I love your herbal spiral yeah thank you That's just something a, a, a I would love trial to try. <laughs> yeah you have loads of flowers here that attract the bees yeah, and yeah. we've seen loads of pear trees and apple trees and mm. massive raspberry bush and there is just so much such a variety and it really looks like I know there's a there's a lot of work and you have a lot of volunteers that help you here but it does look simple it almost looks like half the garden sort of like manages itself <laughs> the, the weeds say so you make it look simple yeah, yeah um, yeah, so when I start this, uh, it's 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 kind of also a spiritual journey for me. Um, I read uh, Paulo Coelho's uh, *The Alchemist*, and it says. Uh, I read it twice. Do you? Many oh, I, many I, years ago. <laughs> probably I read it five six times in in a in a period of five six months because I was just I was just questing a lot of things. And one thing it says is that when you have a dream, the universe conspires to get you there, right? So um, when, uh, just before I start this garden or before this garden becomes available, I was so obsessed about, about gardening. About, and then it was not only about uh, Nordic gardens, it was regenerative agriculture and permaculture. And I was following Richard Perkins and he was doing Nordic there. He was doing chicken on a run and um, he has grazed cows uh, and followed by the chicken. Like all those systems coming together, the mushroom farm. And then I just thought, that is the way it should be. You know, agriculture has a bad name for environmental issues, but it's not agriculture. It's just our practice of agriculture. And if we change that, um, the solution is in agriculture. The solution is using agriculture to regenerate our lands um, and giving back to the land and giving back to the soil and all those things. And so part of my dream was, okay, where should I start? So I can, then I was so obsessed in market gardening because I was gardening at home and I was working on a crop plan. I have no land, I have no, there, there was no sign of land at that time, but I was just obsessed and just looking through all these things. And then, um, and the universe has spoken. And so my, my um, sister-in-law, uh, Janet, she flew to Northern Ireland to visit uh, her family here. And then she met one of the customers of the guy who used to run uh, this place. So his name is Barry Conley. So um, that customer told Janet that he's planning to travel. So he's going to leave the place. And in three days of that information, then he posted online saying he's going to leave and the land is available for lease. And I say, oh, 
that's calling me. <laughs> so I just, we just come here, we saw it. It was so overwhelming to walk in the first gate and look at it. It's a lot of beds. Um, it was springtime or early, no, it was in, in the winter, so in January. So it was bare, some part was covered in uh, black plastic to, to keep weeds down and things like that. And it was so overwhelming and so big. But I just thought, I just, I want to do this. And this is just part of the journey, so I just need to do this. And then um, I started it and uh, I started to, to have a chat and there were other people interested in the land and um, Lindsay uh, was one of them. So they came and we had a chat one day and she said, do you know what, you're, you're trying to make a living here, so I'm not gonna interfere, but I'm gonna help you twice a week. And she gave me two days a week. She comes on Tuesdays, volunteer here, and she comes on Saturdays and she uh, on Fridays or Saturdays. Uh, and then other people start to come. The lockdown happened. Uh, when I get the place, the lockdown was not even an idea. Uh, I was planning to travel to Ethiopia in March, and a week before my travel, then the lockdown happened. And then, and then because of the lockdown, many people has lost or were furloughed. So they needed a space to be, and this is a place, it's an open area, it's agriculture, so essential work, they can come and work here. And so some of my friends start to come here. So um, Terry Vaz, so he, he runs uh, Hearty Growers now from a mushroom farm, he started from here. And there's Mike from Four Leaf Gardens, Market Garden, he started his own small market garden now. And um, there were so many other people, Karen, um, so they start to come and help me. Like, I have no idea when I started. I, ju I don't have experience of running a place this big. I, I grew maybe for three years before that. And then, like, it's just like, I, I just couldn't believe it. At the end, there were, at the end of the season, there were more than 30 people coming and going, helping me here. And um, some of the farm shop days, I just be harvesting. Somebody would be selling the veggies and I hear people laughing and chattering and just like, oh, I just want to be here. Like, this is beautiful. So, yes, it, it was just like, it was just like spoken to me, you know, in a way. It's just crazy to assume it. But like, this just happened a year ago. The idea of Market Garden was not in my life. And now it is. And then with people and with so much help. And so... So yeah, yeah, it, it was it was just it was just an amazing experience, and I'm I'm very happy to be here. And they 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 get me to my feet last year. Uh, there were a lot of insecurities, like you know, you fear so many things. It's a business. Would it work? Would it not work? Would I be able to grow? Would the crops fail? All those things. So they got me through my uh, on my feet for for the first year, and so I'm still here, which is nice. Yeah. And the garden is. It is so beautiful and it is so great to hear that you got so many volunteers to help and I, I do you know in in a sense I, I know that the, the pandemic is it is obviously a disaster and, it, and it's not a great thing for for um to have happened but in many ways I think it, it has been a blessing mm. I think it mm. has been a blessing for the planet I think it has been yes. a blessing for people because people realized how important it is to spend time outdoors Yes. You see people running, cycling, swimming, mm. um, a lot of people who would have sat on their butts inside in an office for 12 yeah. hours a day, yeah. uh, not make an effort to mm. make the time to be outside. And now there's yeah. so many people doing stuff outdoors. But also I think people realize that um, eating homegrown, eating organic, growing your own food, 
with the shops being closed and people fighting over toilet paper and over vegetables, mm. you know, I think people realized that having a land is important. Having being able to grow your own is incredibly important and having somewhere where you can buy sustainably organically grown food is important and, and knowing how food is grown and where it comes mm. from and all these things combined I think is what made people to come out and help and learn and people do want to learn now how to grow yeah, stuff how to look after garden what to do in the garden and um, it has been incredible so as much as uh, you know it has obviously negative impact on people's livelihoods and travel and obviously families can't visit if they mm. live in different countries and um, I do look at it as a blessing and I think it has helped people to yeah. realize yeah yeah also also in the pace of life you know like uh, if uh, if you are like an, in nine, five, nine to five job with commute and things like that, you don't realize your life is so fast, and you don't realize you need to slow down. But the, the lo when the lockdown happens, everybody is told to just come and sit, you know, spend time with your kids, spend time with your families, and spend time outdoors and uh, be aware because you have one exercise, use that one exercise, all those things they will have like uh, some negative impact in the future in the psyche but I think there's also a lot of positive side people being able to work from home for example is that you don't need to commute you don't have 40 minutes of stressful drive somewhere and 40 minutes drive back when you can be at home you can cook for yourself you can cook for your family you can share things you can eat together all those things are so so positive and the slow pace of life do you know what I believe in this country is that because I am from Ethiopia and I know how hard life can be somewhere else and people don't realize how rich they are here uh, so many people wouldn't be struggling to have a shelter uh, food I don't think so many people would struggle to think that oh I might not be able to eat today it's not a thing it's that that need is already met not so many other countries have that and it is a rich place to just come down and just pay attention and relax you know avoid worries stress anxiety all those things that come with luck it can easily be avoided here because the abundance is everywhere and you can see it and it just needs a realization and I think the lockdown would bring that realization okay if I don't work that frenzy I still can make it uh, I still don't have I don't worry about eating uh, like imagine getting your 80% of your salary to sit at home uh, You don't have to drive so there's no petrol cost and your food is maybe 10% of your salary and Just it's crazy. This is like abundance, isn't it? Then so I think the lockdown has brought that out on people and I think so many people would realize that and I see uh, a resistance from so many now when office spaces are open, people are resisting, I don't want to go back to the office. And I think that is going to be a trend for our generation to be, yeah. And many people love to grow now. And I think my business, as, as inexperienced I am when I started, it did fine last year because of the attention to locally grown food, the attention to organic food, and the attention 
from people wanting to grow, wanting to know their farmer and being open about their farmer and to see the farmer. So all those things are like much positive aspects of uh, the lockdown, I believe. Yeah. Yes, and, and I also do think that from the business perspective as a market garden, you know, there is a space for many more because there's only so many mm. veg boxes a week you can do yeah. there's only only so many customers you can serve and they're obviously you're around the corner from helens bay organics yeah and john did say to me it was probably three years ago when i first interviewed him there could be maybe 20 organic market gardens of this size to serve the entire county down Mm, you know yeah, if we wanted yeah. to serve every family yeah. in this in this region yeah, so yeah. it's it is a great business opportunity to do actually something good for for people but also for the environment because obviously the way uh, organic market garden operates um, it's all about biodiversity mm. and sustainability uh, you're creating a great um, space for I mean there's somebody's has bees in the corner there you know you're creating great spa space for the bees yeah because there's so many flowering plants in here yeah yeah uh, that they can pollinate and then obviously the garden benefits from the bees being here yeah, yeah. um it's the the amount of i mean you pulled um, a, a clump of mushrooms there and the amount of earthworms underneath it i mean yeah, that's that's, yeah, it's, that's it's, life you know beautiful. you don't see it yeah. that often yeah 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 but i i agree with with the idea of we need more farmers um here i think we import like more than 70 percent of veggies and something like that. I, I saw something i'm not sure the exact figure but it's a lot of veggies we import into this country while we grow a lot of grass uh, for cows like grass every year grass every year with chemicals and with all those stuff um, so I think there is a potential um, like market gardens are opening here and there this these days with with uh, enthusiast young people it's 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 an amazing opportunity um, there's not even a competition because we have so many people to convert from conventional agriculture to come back to the organic food. So the more we have it, the more people hear about it, the more people we will attract. So I think, uh, I feel like it's a movement. Um, the support I get from, from John is amazing. Like I just, he just calls me sometimes and say, you know, if, if you have something that, that is not going, just give us and we'll sell it for you. Just like, and oh, like, uh, how, how do you think? We are neighbors in a land and we're doing the same thing, but we're not competing. We're just supporting each other in, in a sense. So it's, yes, there's, there's a lot of opportunity here to, to change agriculture. I think the next, I think it's going to be like a movement um, of generally changing uh, because we have like 3% farmers, I think, in this country. And most farmers are above 65. So land would be not vacant but land would be owned by someone but not want to do would not know what to do with it and hiring it out every year for grass and things like that but i think when the young generation starts to access to land then all this regenerative agriculture thing would come to fruition because there's a lot of information on youtube a lot of inspiring people on youtube uh, lots of so many stories across the globe um, it's even is becoming a movement in Ethiopia. I know few people starting to, to, to start a little market garden and growing. Uh, the government is taking a lot of action to, to help people to grow their own stuff and things like that. So I think in the, in the near future, 
will come into that type of agriculture and will transform it. Maybe it would be, you know, like the previous generation has um, the way human beings evolved. It's, it's really fascinating. Isn't it? Being here, even if it's degrading the environment and things like that, so many sacrifices have been, pay, uh, been paid and so many studies have gone on. Like the progress is undeniable. But now we are in a stage where we realize our mistakes, we learn from it, and we are at a stage we have all the resources to do the right thing. You know, uh, we all have enough money to pay that little extra for organic food to local food. We have the power to say no to supermarket brought food and things like that. So I think there is a movement and the movement will, will catch on in our generation's time. I, I believe in that. Yes. Let's hope so, and I, I and I do do feel that there's a lot of positive definitely happening in that industry and going the right direction. And um, before I start picking your brain about what you're doing in your garden and about some tips um, on planting and growing vegetables, I'm gonna have to put some sunscreen on my face because my <laughs> pale white skin is getting totally roasted in here yeah. and I'm gonna look like a traffic light yeah. in time. My, my son Kellen would tell you why he doesn't need uh, sun, sunscreen. Oh, He's I very don't. proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just say so I am I get brown when, when the sun gets me so I don't need a sunscreen. Oh <laughs> like, lucky my daddy boy. we don't need it yeah. Also um yeah there is a tip when it's really hot in Northern Ireland, wearing a long sleeve black shirt is really not a good idea. <laughs> yes. It's very hot. It kind of catches the sun and yeah. I am so hot, it's not even funny. Yeah, my sisters were laughing at me. I was saying it's too hot here. Uh, they were just saying, oh, it's very cold here. And then um, they were 20 degrees yesterday while we were 19, so. <laughs> See, the trouble is that 20 degrees in Northern Ireland um, is probably like 30 somewhere else. Yeah. So, let's talk about this market garden of yours, which is so beautiful. I could just live here. This is like <laughs> yeah. the, the, the this is like the dream environment yeah. for a child. I'm like a child in a sweet yeah. shop. This is amazing. I can it's just beautiful, isn't it? Like yeah. I just feel like I should take my shoes off, <laughs> my socks off, and just walk barefoot, or uh, just enjoy this lovely grass and just. Yeah, just enjoy looking at the beautiful flowers and crops that you have here. But um, I know that you kind of run this farm seasonally, that you yeah. have the veggie boxes that you supply to people and your Saturday market, that it's um, a seasonal affair. Um, so how do you select what to grow? Because there is the selection of what to grow for each season. You would think that there isn't much you can grow here, but actually the selection, what you mm -hmm. can grow in Northern Ireland is absolutely huge. Um, and obviously there's, you know, you can grow a lot in polytunnels and greenhouses. So the select selection is vast. And even though your market garden is big, there is only so much you can fit in here. Mm -hmm. So how do you make the choice? There are so many factors you consider. There's one time of the year, for example, early season leaves do well. So uh, like the box is 20, 20 weeks. And from those 20 weeks, six weeks are challenging. That's the first three weeks and the last three weeks would be challenging to get something because most of um, non-leafy stuff wouldn't be ready yet. So, you, uh, so my boxes, I aim to have 
in mid-season I, I aim to have 15 different varieties in the box but pre-season it would be seven or eight and most of them would be leafy greens and herbs so w what I do is there are types of crops that go through all the season there are types of crops you just pull that means you harvest them that's them done there are crops maybe you do two harvests of like spinach uh, in early season you harvest it one week second week third week it might flower on you so uh, we all take into those things into consideration so one thing is the understanding of abundance in the summer so in the summer as long as you plant something uh, the usual ones like carrots like kale like chard the tomatoes cucumbers all those things once you plant them you are sure they're going to come in the summer and in the summer they're going to come in an abundance you wouldn't have imagined so that is the idea in the summer you're going to have a lot of produce but you have to struggle the early season and the late season to fill the 20 weeks boxes so i mainly focus on those two uh, like i focus on everything but like those two are my eye on because those times i know i'm gonna struggle to get crops so um there are early croppers that they come and they go so you have seen the deal the deal is now almost flowering so one more harvest and it's going to be pulled out so I, w I would plant it maybe later in the season where it's not going to flower anymore but if i plant it now in the summer it's going to go direct to flower so all those things I, I would factor in i will do the same for spinach you can plant them after july then for longer cropping but before that if you want spinach you can plant it in march april and you harvest it from may june and then it will flower and you pull it out so uh, it's just like that what am i going to plant what is going to get ready for that week sometimes we make mistakes for example i had a bed of radish planned for the first week of uh, first week of the boxes but it flowered it all flowered a week earlier so all that is kind of going to waste it's going to go to the compost and uh, things like that because i didn't have the market for it i was just prepping it for the boxes so there are risks you take games you play within it but i plant as much varieties as i can that can come early and that can fill those three weeks of boxes for me and then and then all the courgettes all the tomatoes would come in july and the cucumbers are already ready um the, the kale and the spinach would give from not spinach chard would give until november you just keep harvest them and they just keep coming back um and kohlrabi for example it, you pull it once but you can start early and it will reach in june you can have harvest but you can follow it with another crop another batch of kohlrabi then you can still carry on harvesting it uh so that that's how how we choose is what i need at the beginning and at the end that's my focus and in the middle i plant everything i can and then i'll get produce out of it that's definitely a good tip for even for home garden for anybody i guess yeah so you have constant supply of something for your kitchen at home yeah yeah and um, but i do find when i'm kind of thinking of once i have a house with a garden i feel really overwhelmed when i'm thinking about the planting calendar and what what you can plant and when and then obviously because if you have a small garden you kind of need to think of how to best utilize the space mm. and how to figure out when when one bed is harvested you need to have seedlings ready to go into the yeah. ground yeah to maximize the space and to make sure that there's constantly something growing in it and i think 
before you gain the experience that it comes yeah. almost like a second nature it feels really overwhelming uh, because there's so much choice but also life happens and you have life to live you have work to go to and kind of constantly thinking when you need to sow things when you need yeah. to transplant seedlings it really gets really overwhelming that, that's one thing that i think seems a little bit easier when you have a space like a market yeah, garden that yeah. it doesn't get that much on top of you but um another thing i wanted to ask you is do you actually because this is what probably people with home kitchen gardens would do do you do sort of like staggered planting or staggered sowing so for example i know that some people when they grow lettuce yeah because lettuce grows so fast you don't want to plant 30 lettuces in your bed in your kitchen garden straight away yeah. because if they all come up if you have family of three or four you're not gonna eat 20 lettuces in one week yeah, yeah. so people tend to sow maybe five one week five second week and then sort of stagger the sowing and stagger the planting yeah. uh, do you do something like that um, in the market garden here or do you not need to do that no, I, I, I need to do that uh, in many, many crops. Lettuce is one of them. Like our bed is 10 meters by 75 centimeters. So it will take maybe 120 seedlings at once. And um, I can't chance it to harvest them over three weeks or over two weeks time. So then I need to have another crop waiting for me after two weeks of this one is harvested. So yes, we keep we keep sowing every other week. Uh, for example, if you see, um, we have coriander here. So coriander, I sow them every two weeks apart until midsummer because they, they keep flowering. So I just keep harvesting them. Once I harvested it twice, then it has flowered, but I have planted another batch of coriander beside it, uh, maybe two, two weeks younger and it keeps it keeps going so yes we do that um, the, the calculation would be different from from a house because uh, I have 40 boxes and I can aim uh, how many crops can I put there and how many weeks would it take me to harvest it would I chance it to you not know, to flower on me or like all those things I consider but what I like about the veg box scheme is that you can clearly plan for your veg boxes and you have extra for the shop extra for for the market uh, but your boxes are set so you get up Monday morning and think, okay, this week I'm going to pull 40 lettuce heads. Uh, I, I'm going to harvest a quarter of this bed for coriander. I'm going to harvest, I'm going to pull all this bed out. So with that assumption, when you start at the beginning with a crop plan, you might not get it right. Uh, that's the simplicity of it is you might not get it right, but you just assume saying, Okay, in June, the, f the first week of June, I might pull all this bed out. So, okay, as soon as I pull it, I need to put something in. So, somewhere in May, I'll sow another thing. So, when we build the crop plan, it has those things for, for crops that move out. For example, we have uh, the potatoes, the early potatoes. The first earliest, they're going to be pulled out maybe this week or next week. So, there are crops waiting to go in as soon as they are pulled out. It's, I have three beds, those three beds maybe take three weeks to pull out. So at the third week I have three beds worth of stuff to go in. So at the beginning of the season I have imagined that by the end of June these guys are going to go out. So what can I sow when to 
be a strong enough seedling to be planted end of June. So I, I, I do that staggering. So that is, um, so the, the difference with conventional agriculture is that they just um, plow the land, put their crop, harvest it, and that's the land done for that time. But for us, it's successional. I want to use the bed, as long as the season is there, I want to use the bed for another crop. And it's also good for people, home gardening, is we always think when we pass the May we think that oh planting season is over so nobody sells seeds after in June you can, uh, nobody buys seeds in June and plant something in June but you can still sow things in June you can still sow things in July um, August September and this country doesn't get that cold you know it gets cold but we never have minus minus 10 or minus 15 if we get like minus four maybe a week of the growing season right so if somebody has a little bit of a polytunnel for example they can't grow many stuff um, they choose what to grow there are winter crops they can put in and we can, winter crops can work uh, miracles here so my advice for people is that never stop sowing and planting you just keep keep going and also resource to direct sowing like if you don't have the seedling there when you pull your lettuce out for example in july drop a couple of seeds of well uh, spinach for example and they grow and you can get a crop after um most of like the asian crops uh, like chinese cabbage uh, pak choy all those would flower in the summer time but if you plant them after in july like after the solicite then they, they are going to flower the year the the winter after so you can get good crops from there so from July onwards you can plant a lot of uh, Asian uh, leaves there are very nice mustard type of leaves for for salad uh, there's pak choy for stir fry and all those and you can you can plant radish almost any time uh, of the year so yeah if you don't have seedlings you can drop seeds wherever it is you can drop uh, seeds of radishes uh, you can drop seeds of even the mustard greens. You can also drop seeds of um, brassicas. Uh, there are cabbage varieties that come in the winter, so you can start them in, in July and they can carry on and you get a crop out of them. So yeah, never stop sowing or never stop planting. I have to I say, I'm a massive fan of radishes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of worry a little bit. Once I have a garden, the entire garden will be just radish everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and there are like quite quite a lot of varieties of radish. Yeah, there. I They're know. Amazing. Yeah. I love daikon, but I don't know yeah. how well it grows here. Have so you Have you tried? I, I'm I'm trying it now, so I have sown some. So I'll see. I'll see. I'll let you know how how they. Oh, I'm definitely yeah. curious. I grow daikon microgreens, but that's the, okay. quite different from growing the actual vegetable. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I know. So when I see some of, I follow quite a few people on Instagram with the um, uh, organic kitchen gardens, and when I see the beautiful variety and the variety of different colors of radishes and carrots yeah, and tomatoes um, everybody grows, it's just it looks so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful, and. Um, what is your approach to your garden? Because I've seen you, obviously you said that you follow Charles Dowding, so um, I assume you, you incorporate uh, Nodig gardening in here as well. I've seen you showed me the three sisters there, so you obviously do, um, uh, what is it called? Not complementary. Companion. Com companion, thank you, companion planting. Um, do you do traditional beds with digging? Um, 
into the ground? Yeah, so uh, what I follow is here is Nordic, um, in a way. Um, it's, it's not like the Nordic um, Charles Dowding is practicing because they start the, the ground from the beginning. They cover the lawn with cardboard and mulch it with compost and carry on. But ours is on soil and it's been, the beds have already been made. If it was a fresh ground, I would have done it like that. So what, what I do is I, I buy in compost from uh, Natural World Products, they're called the company. They, they compost all the green bin materials. Uh, that are collected from the city and they sell the compost so I buy that compost top every bed up each year um, so the previous season there will be weeds and things like that so we cover it with black plastic to kill all those and we open it back in maybe February March whenever we have the soil and I top it up with the compost maybe hoe it a little bit to loosen it and top, top it up with the compost and just plant directly so we don't plow the land at all so it's it's a minimum tillage, but we use um, the oscillating hoe to just one is to pull all the soil that fell into the walkway uh, during the growing season. So we pull that up to the bed and try to make the bed up again and top it up with compost. So that's uh, that's the way we do, and we use divers to make holes for our seedlings and we just drop the seedlings and cover them, and they just grow very well. So the the, the idea behind that is that. Um, so the soil is more like alive you know it's just full of life and uh, I read something that says in a spoonful of soil there is more life in it than the number of people in the on earth so it, it is much alive there are like bacteria we don't see and there are the the earthworms and other so many beneficial and if you see a plowed land um, it, it actually looks nice. It's fine tilled, but imagine what happened to the to the worms if if all the roots of the things that lived there have been cut into pieces. And imagine what happened to the fungal network. Uh, so that is so brutal. So for us, we just prepare the land and pop things in, and the the, the life inside would work, would do its magic to supply food for our for our um, crops. So in a way, we don't feed the crops, we feed the soil. We feed the soil life. Uh, for example, when we pull lettuce out, usually I cut it from the bottom, leaving the roots inside, so that the life inside will eat the roots, would compost it there for me, and then it gives nutrients to, to, to the plants. So the next crop would have an amazing one. So that's the method I follow. And um, it works, it works magic. I really love it. And if, you, if you're doing it at home, like mulching with cardboard, if you have like um, a piece of lawn, it worked really well for me at home. And that, those beds, the first beds I, I built, they, they have no weed up to now. Um, only like the, the weeds, nothing came from the bottom, only like the, the wind carried weed seeds. So it's just here and there, you just pull them out and there's no weeds. So uh, if you, it's, it's just like mimicking nature. Like if you, if you think about it, uh, in the autumn time, the leaves fall and they, they cover the land with, with organic matter and the life will eat the organic matter. And in spring, some other plant came from, from the bottom. So just like that, we top it up with compost and uh, we build the organic matter of the soil. So in years, the soil would be richer and richer and richer because we have, we have farmed there. So that's what regenerative is. So we are adding to the, to the health of the soil, to the health of the, the microbes that lives in the soil and to the life in the, in the soil. 
I take it you circulate crops as well? Yes, yes. Uh, we do crop rotation because it's also demanded by, by the organic certification. Um, but, you know, I have, I have questions on that. Like, um, even if you follow Charles Dowding, uh, he mentions... He, he did some experiments with potatoes, for example, planting a potato at one spot for, for long years, but every year you, cop, you, you, you top it up with compost. And um, crop rotation might not be necessary that much uh, when you follow the Nodig method, because you are the life, is, the soil is very healthy, and there's no depletion of nutrients or anything, and uh, you're giving organic matter to the soil. So it's like the soil is always fresh, and the pests wouldn't have uh, the strengths to overcome whatever lives in your soil because your soil is very healthy. So uh, we do crop rotation every year. I move things. So in the crop plan, whatever grows on that bed the year after will be followed by whatever growed on the next plot of land. So the whole plot would be would be rotated around. But I doubt if that is even necessary. Um, and. Uh I've seen the beautiful uh, plot there of your three sisters that's corn, beans, and you have some squashes there. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, do you use companion planting anywhere else or is it just the three sisters? Or have you experimented with any other companion planting? Yeah, I mean, if, uh, if we call it companion planting, I do grow uh, the basil with the tomatoes and the cucumbers as you see and that's that's the only thing uh, really I do in companion we have we have garlic chives for our trees so surrounding our trees there are mm, comfrey and then it's surrounded by garlic chives so just to keep paste away and things like that uh, but I, I don't so that is our, our first trial is the three sisters actually it's Claude is um, a volunteer for me is a dear friend is helping me a lot and he, he is that's his project I call it so we have planted the, the corn uh, the three sisters is it's a uh, South American indigenous knowledge that they do combine these three uh, the squash would cover the ground the corn would come up between the squash so the squash would give soil cover so that there are no weeds and then the beans would use the, the corn to climb up and and fruit and and we added a fourth one this year with with Terry's uh, mushroom spent so mushrooms are growing in so between it so it's like four, four now <laughs> four sisters at, at the moment so that's that's working well so we'll see how how it goes it's my first trial and i'm very excited the about mushrooms it. look gorgeous by they are right? amazing and they, yeah 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 i stopped buying from him so that's a disadvantage <laughs> <laughs> that he gave me his waste <laughs> well his fault <laughs> yeah I, know. I do have to mention that you you said oh my god and i squashed it you mentioned about the basil and yeah you're growing this amazing I've known about the cinnamon basil because we growed it um, um, in Azora, but you gave me a piece of this amazing chocolate basil that you're growing. I didn't even know it existed. It tastes like after eight. Oh no, it's, it's mint. It is uh, not basil, mint, yeah. mint, chocolate mint, chocolate. Mint. I go back, chocolate mint. Yeah, it's beautiful, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It does. Uh, I wonder if you use that as a companion planting to something. Will that crop taste like chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Companion planting um, is, is mainly for a smell, isn't it, to, to yeah. confuse the pests. Yeah. So we, we were thinking of, uh, for our carrots, we were thinking of putting those uh, mints, lemon balm all around the bed, uh, thinking that it will distract the, uh, 
uh, the, the, the roots fly, the carrot roots fly. I have but to it's say, better to cover it than... <laughs> do you know, I have to say very disappointingly, we did that with parsley. So we planted a bed of um, carrots and I surrounded it with parsley. The damn yeah. parsley didn't come up last year at all. Oh. So the carrots were eaten <laughs> by something, whatever it yeah. was. Most of the carrots got eaten. And when the carrots were pulled out, the damn parsley came up this year. Oh, really? And there's no carrots now, <laughs> but we have a bed full of parsley. Yeah. <laughs> pa parsley is uh, like a carrot family, isn't it? I think it yeah. can be attacked by by uh, the carrot roots fly as well. It they, they, looks they healthy. Smell like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe now because Sorry the carrots the aren't carrots. there anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the but carrots yeah. were sacrificial, uh, sacrificial <laughs> crop for this case. <laughs> They were sacrificed for the benefit of the parsley. Mm. Uh, but I do, I, I'm holding in my hand at the minute the, the cinnamon basil, which is, oh my God, the smell is gorgeous. And I do wonder if you do plant it together with the tomatoes, how much of the, because you're meant to actually, basil's meant to plant, be planted with tomatoes, not yeah. only to deter the pests, but also to make the tomatoes taste nicer. Oh, and I, okay. Yeah, That's and I do wonder whether... Um, the type of basil you plant with the tomatoes yeah. determine the, the actual taste. So I wonder if you use cinnamon basil, Around. will will the, how different will the tomatoes taste mm -hmm. um, comparison to if you plant them with normal basil? I have to do That's some a big research, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to do some experimenting with it once I have a garden. There's gonna I'm, I'm, be I'm some happy to sacrifice <laughs> some some tomato plants for that. <laughs> I'm definitely curious about the chocolate, chocolate man. I have to figure it's out good, what to plant it? it with and see yeah. if you can experiment whether it it will get. I'll, I'll give you some roots of it. Oh my plant, god! Yeah. I would be grateful for that. This is that. That's like the most amazing herb mm. ever. I can't stop sniffing it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I really couldn't believe it. It's, it's like a, magic. It's the beauty of nature. You know, just like mint by itself, the smell is amazing. Then it has. Uh, a friend that smells like chocolate is just like I know it's like honestly yeah. this is the purest form of after eights um yeah it's gorgeous in the basil oh my god um also your purple basil oh it's beautiful it that one, is isn't it? so beautiful yeah, yeah. It's just the wonder. It makes of it makes a difference in, in when you sell the basil, you know, just have the purple in it and it just it just looks very nice, you know. But it tastes the same as it's the same as a normal uh, sweet basil. It does look. But, yeah, it's just it looks I think amazing. herbs make any dish look beautiful and taste yeah. beautiful. Yeah. You can if you yeah. if you mess any dish, just yeah. add a handful of herbs. It's just, it's just it add the season, isn't it? Like you just realize, oh, it's summer when you have when you just have a bite of basil in your salad and things like that you just think oh. I think herbs are one of the things that everybody should try and grow in their garden because yeah. there is a ma there's something magical in mm. making fresh lunch mm. and being able to go into your garden and pick, herbs. and pick fresh herbs to throw into your salad yeah. throw into your whatever it is that you're making it's just yeah there's there's some sort of magic in it and it makes you appreciate the meal more because yeah, you've grown it you've just picked it it's so satisfying yeah incredibly satisfying um i do have to ask you one thing going back to your uh, staggering sowing and planting and going back to your planting calendar how do you manage that do you have some sort of magic spreadsheet or do you sit down every week or every month and plan a month ahead or do you do all the major planning um, sort of in winter time 
for mm. the, the entire year ahead or do you do it seasonally? How do you manage that? Yeah. So um, there are lots of uh, crop, sp uh, crop plan spreadsheets you can, you can get online, I think. And one of them was Char uh, Richard Perkins' book, Resent Agriculture. But when I, when I come here, Barry, Barry Connolly before me, he has, he has experimented it and he has like very meticulously planned. Sorry, we're gonna have to, that plane is getting way too close and way too loud. Civilization. Yeah, one of the downsides of being outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> How come we don't keep quiet for the cows? <laughs> Just for the planes? <laughs> The plane is way louder than the cows, and the yeah. cows actually have gone quiet now. Yeah. They're probably preoccupied with something, maybe eating. <laughs> yeah, so I was saying, um, so Barry uh, kindly gave me his crop plan to follow, also to understand the crop rotation as well, so what, to know what he grows where and to rotate it. So basically, the planning happens in the winter time. But one thing about plants is you can't be too rigid about planning, especially in agriculture because so many things change uh, for example last year April was so beautiful so sunny so warm right so so many crops come unexpectedly uh, and this year April we had like 12 frosts and it was the coldest it has ever been so those two are like major differences in crows uh, and we all we are all saying that okay the season is lagged by three weeks but now May came May was also colder, but once the temperature picks up and the crops are very eager to grow. So you cannot be too rigid about your crop plan. But we have a crop plan that we do f uh, from from winter time. You just sit and think about, okay, what happened this year? So sometimes I go back to my uh, Instagram posts and see, okay, what came? What did I pull out? Uh, I have my records as well. So I just uh, all look and just reflect on it and tweak the crop plan. Uh, some things I didn't like growing, so I changed them. Uh, some things maybe I need to change a variety of one crop. That variety didn't do well, but the other variety did well somewhere else. So all those things I do it pre-season, uh, winter time. So the seasonal growing, what I like about here is I um, work until October or end of October. That's my last box. And after that, we cover the, the land and I don't do anything until January so in the background I do all my plannings and things like that but so the, the, but the crop planning goes on throughout the season but I have a basic or um, what you call it a benchmark to, to, to go back to and refer to change or uh, amend yeah it is I think that the planning and the spreadsheet it's uh, I think that is a lot of work a lot yeah. of brain work but as you said the nature yeah. is not always compliant yeah, and also when it's your full-time job, you know, uh, it's, when it's your full-time work, then, I mean, that's that's what you do. That's why, why I'm here, you know. So it's, it's not, once you get hung of it, once you know, and especially once you go grow one season and realize how simple it is, then you just start to relax. You know, if this fails, okay, this will come. If this fails, this will come. If this fails something will happen anyway you're gonna get a crop anyway and when when summer comes you just think why was i worried <laughs> like what am i going to do with all this food you know it's, it's crazy the abundance i know when when you have the good weather and all these yeah. crops are starting to properly grow and come up and 
often when the weather's like this consistently and the crops just keep there's no stopping them they come up yeah, a lot they, faster and in abundance you're just yeah. you just tend to i know that we tend tended to panic in us already what are we gonna do with all this yeah stuff? yeah you just panic um, isn't it but there's yeah. no time to do to do anything else here like once harvest season starts like we can't stop harvesting it just goes and on and on and we have one or two days to do weeding or one or two days to planting and it's it gets a lot of work once summer hits and all the crops came it is a hard work but um mm. as i said to you before when when you gave me the tour of, of this beautiful place um, it is a hard work that is extremely satisfying yeah it is it is um it's physically it's physically demanding and it's also emotionally demanding because uh, because you're playing with nature something might come something might not you can have certainty in in some some level but you have that fear especially the first year the fear of not having anything you know like i have subscribed 40 people they paid me money believing that i'll give them crop every week and that's like um that's like a big trust isn't it and you, you, they are trusting you with what you provide them every week you know like you're choosing what they're gonna eat every week and all those things that's a big responsibility and it's, it's emotionally draining sometimes thinking that oh what if this doesn't come what if this doesn't happen and things like that so it's also emo emotionally demanding and uh, farming can be a bit lonely sometimes if if there's no like i was very lucky last year i have at least a person volunteering every day for me so i'm not alone here but the lonely days when you are just by yourself with your mind <laughs> it just is a bit daunting sometimes so it's, it can be hard it must have been it's probably better now because now you you have the experience but still you feel the fear yeah yeah but it's 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 like anything else isn't it when you start if you're starting your own business it's just like that isn't it is it gonna work is it not gonna work so you just have to do it anyway and then deal with the consequences but you can you can never guarantee that oh this year I'm gonna be successful. It just doesn't work like that, isn't it? You just have to be there every day. You just have to whatever fear you have, you just have to face it and put it aside and do what you have to do. You know, and then carry on and see what, what happens. And normally that's what I keep saying is that the, the abundance in the summer will tell you that you're alright. You know, that that is that's the beauty of gardening. Um, all the myths like green finger i don't have the green finger there's nothing called green finger <laughs> you have a seed you have soil you have sun you have water combine them and you get something out and that, that is how simple it is is that and realizing that and avoiding the fear and um, that's a great quote yes. i'm going to use that to promote <laughs> this podcast that is such a great yes, quote I, I say to mike one day uh he was here and i say to him mike look this crops as much as we want them to grow they want to grow so, you know they have also the, the they have the desire to grow in them the seed has the potential to grow right and they have the desire to grow as well so even if you worry or not they're going to grow anyway you know that's that's one of the things uh, i believe but and it's really funny how attached you can get to crops to the seedlings to what you sow oh, yeah. like i remember in azura we um we were really i had my heart set on growing fennel so we made a tire garden and uh, we had sowed some uh, some fennel and the seedlings looked beautiful and strong so i was really excited we we're gonna have some fennel 
we planted the seedlings and um, they lasted only a few days and something got to them we covered them with nets to oh. protect them but something got every single one of them he had like four or five tires full of fennels they from and soil is the roots with, eaten with, with everything the, the plant all the seedlings were pulled out of the soil and it looked like they were never there wow i almost cried i was <laughs> so attached to them and it made it just broke yes. my heart because yes. i was so set on having fennel and i was just like how did this happen yeah. so much work yeah and so much hope that we would have some fennel <laughs> <laughs> That's what biodiversity does to you, you know. If you have so many of them, you don't be attached to one, you know. <laughs> and that's also the science of it, is that we have a lot of crop here. If one fails, we rely on the other. So, it's like if it is like um, conventional agriculture, you plant a whole lot of cabbages and something happens and your cabbage are then you're gone for the year. So, but if you have like a diversified type of crops, one fails, it has a neighbor that's growing well <laughs> it has a neighbor and you just you just plant again you just sow again it does make a difference where your garden is because obviously you're quite you have a sound trap here you're surrounded by walls hence the wall yeah, garden yeah um and obviously you have the road on, on one side far away from here but you can there's still a road on the other side further from here there's those train tracks yeah. so while the train is super loud and sometimes annoying it obviously keeps the, the, the pests away. So you don't get badgers here, you don't get wild yeah. rabbits that would eat your crop, which is really lucky. Whereas Azura, they're, they're unlucky in that they're very open. They're in the middle of other fields. It's yeah. a very open environment. And, and as, as lucky as they are, that there yeah. is the biodiversity and a lot of wildlife, it plays against the farm in a sense that badgers, rabbits, whatever else, birds can come in and eat yeah, crops yeah. take the crops um so th so that's you know that's the downside of it um whereas here you're really beautifully sheltered yeah yeah we're, we're lucky in that aspect but like um i struggle with uh, pigeons pigeons love kale or any brassica family cabbages and things like that and we have to cover it and sometimes they come uh, you live you work all day your kale is open and you left and when they when you come back it's it's as if somebody harvested it for you so they have eaten like a, a row of kale or something like that so we struggle with with but that's the only big big animal we we face we're lucky we don't have any rabbits do nets and work against pigeons? yes yes nets work um because it's covered they can't they can't get at it so they might get you know the ones at the corner and things like that but they, they don't it will keep them out from from the rest of your bed i mean i also believe that in a market garden we have a lot of i have like uh seven no, eleven eleven bits of kale right and there's a middle part that does well so if the sides are eaten by something it's all right no i have given some for for somebody and they ate some of it you know it's just uh, there's still you're a lot sharing. of abundance a little bit yeah they, they will annoy you in the winter because <laughs> in the winter your very precious leaves are eaten just like yeah yeah but we are protected and we're lucky for that yeah. this the pigeons is it's actually a good story i suppose to to tell kids who don't like brassicas it's good for pigeons it's yeah, good for you they yep. love it <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes um, right. 
would you have any tips for anybody who wants to start up a small market garden or yeah. a larger kitchen garden or whatever any tips that would really help someone to get started my my, my first advice is it's simple for growing if, if you're worried about the growing aspect of it um, as, as humans we evolve through telling stories and we told stories but our stories tend to be negative it's a good thing because you share you see someone and say oh this happened so don't do this and it become it become a big fear that people will tell you if you say I'm gonna plant a carrot then they will tell you about the fly rather than like how to sow it or something like that you know like everybody shares you the fear and the fear gets so big and it, you think that you can't do it as a grower uh, so one one thing is it's easy just give it a try and plant and try it out and even if it fails it doesn't fully fail so you just have to keep trying keep trying the other thing is as a business also um, the fear is overwhelming um, it's a venture it's it's agriculture it's it's not predictable it's unpredictable so many things it depends on the weather it depends on your market do I have a market that week uh, to say so it can be very overwhelming and uh, very scary so just think of the summer think of abundance and what would come in the summer so that 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 can give you a bit of um, a bit of security uh, that's the thing and another thing is if you're if you're starting business in in this country for example know that it is it is a rich country not not in a money way. It's just from resources. You turn, you can get support from the government. You can get grants. You can get funds. You can have so many people come and help you. You can get so many advices. You have so many things to rely on. And I think understanding that richness in this country is one of the things. And I always say to people that this country is so rich that if you have a dream and don't pursue it, you're just killing yourself because nothing will ever happen to you it's just like you just go and try it and see where you go and if it doesn't work you can go back and do whatever you want again the resource is there the people are there the advice is there the support is there so you just need to dig that and carry on so that's that's my advice um, if you have a dream just just follow it there's no better time in the world there's no better place in the world than here to do that so that's my advice that is so encouraging and yes you are right in 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 essence it is simple to grow stuff yeah it is <laughs> i think we we are naturally just um kind of predisposed to overcomplicating things mm, mm. always it's, thinking it's communication it's communication talk to go and talk to one person today and ask them you're gonna grow that and they'll tell you the disease with, which attacks it it's just <laughs> like you don't need to think about that if it attacks it then good then. we always tend to think about what could go wrong rather than what yeah could go, yeah that, that's go well big, yeah yeah that is true and and that was the thing when i start with the tomatoes um the ones i killed <laughs> uh, that was the fear of it like what if it doesn't work what if it works and do you know what sometimes i say um seedlings has to go through a rough patch as well you know everything cannot be just well for them to do well they need to some people suggest for example to stroke your tomatoes seedlings so that they feel like it's the wind uh, you know like to roughen up and also I tried with tomatoes so when I grow my tomatoes for this garden 
it's I saw them in March. I love I love growing tomatoes. Uh, they are sown in first of March. That's the first seed I put in, and my boys would leave their room and move in with us, and I grow them in their bedroom. And then the seedlings come, and some of them I leave them there. Some of them I bring them in the polytunnel, and we think that it's very cold in the polytunnel. Uh, but after some stage, the ones at home would get so long and uh, lanky, you know, and they don't look well, you know, their, their stem is so thin. But the ones I brought to the polytunnel, they go through the rough patch and their stem is thick, they are short. But you can see they are sturdy. And when you plant them and when they get the good weather, they come very well. So there, there's, there's a line between that, you know, people would say to you, how do you bring your seedlings into the polytunnel? But it's working in the polytunnel and they enjoy that cold roughness. So many seedlings would love that, I think. Uh, it's also a human, human thing, isn't it? You need the challenge, you cannot get all, all the time comfortable. You need, you need the challenge to grow. So it's just like that. So um, my tomatoes, the first year I loved them, I watered them, I fertilized them, killed them. And the second year I realized that if I water them every week, it's all right. If I feed them because they were in a pot, if I feed them every two, three weeks, they are all right. And the produce was amazing. And then I come here and say, what am I going to feed my tomatoes? I say, nothing. We use compost and they do amazingly well. And so, um, so the worry thing, is is need to be avo avoided you know they, they all love the rough patch and they all love to go through that a bit of struggle a bit of a challenge to to make them grow i don't this is my my philosophy might not be true for <laughs> some crops <laughs> but it's working for me <laughs> uh, yeah. now you you said about um compost and you mentioned that you buy compost in yeah um do you also make your own compost in here Yes, yes, uh, I do make compost, but it's uh, at the end of the year, it's not enough to cover all yeah. the bit. That's why we buy. But I make compost. We have five bays, and uh, each bay is 1.7 meters by 1.7 meters. And when I fill them, I plan to fill them 1.7, like, and then uh, so that's that's a good dense material to create the heat. So the idea is to create a heat up to f uh, 55, 60 degrees centigrade for a few days to kill all the all the weed seeds uh, so that the seeds won't germinate. And then um, there's the idea of the carbon and the, the, the nitrogen ratio and things like that. I, I am aware of it, but I, I never follow it. Uh, like I, do, I don't follow it passionately. I'd, I'd imagine, because when we pull with their soil, soil is your carbon, the weed is your, your green, and sometimes we throw cardboard in it, uh, but we throw everything in, and then once it's full, we leave it for six weeks. And then I turn it once and leave it as long as it can. So I don't, I don't turn it twice or three times, and the, the compost is really good. Do you measure the temperature? Um, I, I followed it a bit. Uh, at the beginning, yes. So I, I got up to 55 degrees centigrade uh, in, the, in the center of it. And you can also put your hand and you can really, really feel, feel the heat. And once that process is over, then the worms from the soil come up and just do their magic and change it to gold, I said. It. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, I'll show you them 
uh, later on. I also wonder when you uh, mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you bought manure for your garden. Uh, <laughs> horse manure. Where do you buy? I mean, because I imagine if you want to buy compost or manure or mushroom compost or whatever for a market gardener for anything you need to buy quite high quantities where do you actually is it possible to buy smaller quantities for just household small kitchen garden yes i think now you can get a ton bag so that's what i get for for my home um i couldn't find that material again i tried but that was a one time thing it was composted for but like for um now, the guys I bought from uh, the Natural World Products, they are selling their, their ready compost to another garden center, and that garden center is selling it in tone bags. I, I don't remember the name of it, sorry. Okay. But, uh, so you can buy them in tone bags, still like quite expensive, but it's totally worth it if, uh, if you manage to get that. But if you're, if you're starting a, mush- um, a bigger market garden, there are like massive mushroom farms for for this uh, button mushroom and they grow them on horse manure composted horse manure so you can you can buy the leftover of that quite cheap because they want to get rid of it you can buy it quite cheap uh, in tons like 25 tons something like that and i suppose maybe Truck that loads. would be something you'd have to do so see if you if you just start a new mm. small household you know kitchen garden and it's a simple plot of grass yeah. like this and it's maintained and cut just as a sort of pretty lawn and you want to establish um, raised beds um, to grow vegetables I suppose that's something you would have to do you would have to it's not just simple go to gardening center and buy um, organic uh, green compost I think I suppose that's something you would have to you would have to get some sort of horse manure or chicken manure or Mm. whatever and mix it in with green compost to to kind of start a good healthy soil to start your vegetable garden off or do you could you get away with just simple I mean, if you can afford the compost itself, then that that can work. But um, it's good to use like cow's manure is accessible now. You can you can get it easily, and you can when you when you build your raised bed, you need like quite a thick layer or a mulch, so you can put it underneath. Can be uh, cow's manure uh, and things like that, and the horse manure, well composted uh, horse manure, can be used as a compost. You don't need a compost to top that up um, if it is three four years old uh, horse manure I think the I'm not sure but the the, the mushroom compost as well it, it can be lumpy sometimes when you buy it but in few few weeks time it just decomposes and become like soil so you can start with that uh, freshly I know Mike from four leaf market garden he started with horse manure uh, from a mushroom farm and it's he's doing very well growing stuff in it that is it, it is one of the things that's kind of um, I suppose can be a bit uh, tricky to know how to or whether there's right or wrong and how to get it right when you're starting from completely yeah. blank canvas how to yeah. you sort of look at like a 
piece of grass and you sort of don't really know where to start it's like, yeah, what am I, I gonna do first am I gonna plant some trees plant some bushes am I gonna put the greenhouse there or am mm. I gonna build raised beds and what am I gonna put in the raised beds there's no compost in here where am I gonna get it what am I gonna mix that it yeah. mixed in it it's it's a lot of things to think about and it's very easy to get overwhelmed and you know I don't yeah, know, I know what I'm <laughs> going to start <laughs> with so I'm just not gonna do anything yeah I know finally <laughs> that's the fear taking over <laughs> it comes to be no 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 I don't have green fingers then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you just have yeah. to start I am the kind of person who tends to start with everything because I don't know what to start with so I'm just gonna do everything at once and then then there's the panic kicks in and, and the kind of you don't sleep you don't take a break you just feel like you have to do everything all at once and it all yeah. needs to be done now and there's no not first this then that and then no everything needs to be done right away <laughs> yeah it just overwhelm you with that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> One step at a time. But yeah, don't 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 do that, people. <laughs> just just make a few step plan. <laughs> um, although I I don't know what the steps would be, but you know, um, I wanted to chat to you about the herb garden. I uh, you have an impressive collection collection of herbs, herbs. that you you, yes, you grow there. Um, how did you kind of get to that stage because i sometimes feel that herbs can be really difficult to grow mm. but maybe it's because i tried to grow them on a windowsill and okay. i don't think that herbs really like growing on a windowsill they need yeah. to be go they need to be grown outside yeah yeah i mean it, it depends what type of herb it is and some of them are annuals and some of them are perennials so the perennials are were here when i when i come here um so the organo was here and uh, the thyme was here, but thyme needs to be replaced every three years or something like that. That either either becomes so woody. Um, but the others, like the sage, you cut it low down uh, in the winter, and it comes very nicely uh, in the summer. So I cannot take credit for for all those who were here, uh, who was here. Um, and there's chives, for example. The chives comes; it's crazy. It just comes and comes. It just gives like. Uh, I, I cut I split it into three and I harvest the first third uh, for one week of boxes and second and the third and on the fourth week that one the first one is ready again so it just goes on like that do and you have to just, keep sowing chives or do they just no it's just once it's planted once I think uh, Bari has planted it uh, the year before or something but it, it just is amazing it just keeps coming uh, but there are the annual ones like um, coriander. Coriander is part of the crop plan. Uh, they only come uh, in the summertime and goes away. Then I, I'll also more in, in July and I hope those ones would carry me through. And I have uh, parsley is planted every year. Um, uh, they overwinter, you get some, some amount of harvest in the springtime, but they, they go to flower. So you have to replant again. So there are uh, annuals you have to sow every year. The deal is the same. Uh, Do you have to plant basil every year? Oh, basil, yes, yeah. yes, because basil can't survive the winter at yeah. all. Yeah, and and it it flowers as well. Yeah. Um, mint is like sage, isn't it? You have to cut it down. Yeah. Um, it yes, yes, and mint is quite uh, quite invasive as well. Yeah. So once you have it in your land, it just keeps spreading. Yeah. Oh, which is good. I can never have enough mint. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> if I ever managed yeah. to grow this ma magic chocolate one, oh my god. Yeah. That could very, I would be very happy for that to take over a garden. 
How would you? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so much you can eat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> of, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The magic mint. Um, now, with all these amazing crops that you're growing, it's such a huge variety. When it comes to this particular season, have you got any particular crop, be it veg, herb, or flower, or whatever, that is your personal favorite to grow? Oh, that's a hard one. My tomatoes are first in, in line. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I think maybe I'm doing this for the tomatoes. I really <laughs> love them. I really love them. Why and tomatoes? Because um, tomatoes, they start in March and you get quite intimate with them because you start them from seed, you see them as seedlings and you look after them. And uh, in reality, tomatoes are fruits, not vegetables, right? But the fruit tree takes seven years. But the tomato, you plant it and up to July you have nothing but you can see them grow uh, and then you can see it's the anticipation and uh, the fruits are so much loved by so many people and uh, and also in this country it's like an achievement isn't it like oh my tomatoes it's just it's an amazing thing to do and you see them grow uh, from seed in March and in November they are done mm. and they have given you an abundance and then at the end of the scene you have enough green tomatoes to, to make green tomato chutney and eat it through the winter. Do you know, so it's just, it's so much involvement and so much intimacy with them. And you have to prune them, you have to cut the suckers off. Like it's, it's never ending work, but it's just, uh, I think it's a labor of love. They are so, so satisfying to harvest, aren't they? Yeah, well? they are. They are <laughs> awesome, amazing. It's amazing. Do you grow just one type of tomatoes or do you have a variety? No, I do. I do a lot of variety. So there's a common uh, red cherries and then a yellow cherries just to make a, a, a mix in there. But I do also, I have black cherries, oh. black tomato cherries. Yeah, they're quite interesting. And and then I have bigger ones. Um, I, I haven't planted heirloom uh, heritage varieties, but the normal organic tomato types uh, I plant. Um, I have bigger yellow ones, which I really like. Uh, yellow perfection they are called um, the plant is like crazy it goes mad if you don't cut it and it's really frustrating sometimes and last year I'm not gonna plant this again and then the fruit comes and it's like deep yellow and it's just so beautiful so tasty so I'm gonna plant you next year so I have I have those ones as well and uh, yeah so bigger red ones I have a French variety called uh, Saint Perry like I think it means Saint Peter uh, I'm looking forward to this year. It's it's a nice bigger red variety, uh, and the cherries, the cherries. I love the cherries. Yeah. I do remember the yellow ones that you you were talking about. Um, my gran used to buy them. Um, I can't remember that we actually. I don't think we grew tomatoes in our garden when I was little. But I remember my gran wh wherever she got them from. Uh, they were these like deep, yeah. rich yellow, yellow okay. tomatoes and. I hated tomatoes as a child, but when I learned to eat them, these yellow ones, yeah. we were eating them like apples. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they were the thing to <laughs> yeah, eat. Yeah, that, that's my thing. I munch a lot in this garden. I, I eat everything. While walking, I'm eating. So the tomatoes are one of them. While harvesting, I'm eating. The perks of gardening. Of yeah, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yes. So tomatoes, the favorite thing yeah. to grow. And when it comes to eating, when it comes to cooking, what is your favorite vegetable or crop to eat in this season? Yes, I, I would have to say chard. 
um, like I, I like most of the things here. Um, I say charred because I can't find it anywhere else before. But we have a charred variety in Ethiopia that growing up, I really like the taste of it. And then I start to grow the Swiss chard and the rainbow chards, and that taste is there. And I was just so impressed. And every time I cook it, it just fascinates me. Like, oh, this taste. I always say that. And my little ones love it. I have three kids, uh, two boys and a girl, and they all love chard. Just say more, more chard, chard, please. And like, you can't expect kids to eat all those stuff, but they just love it. So chard would be my favorite thing. Um, I like it also because it's very easy. And the way we make it, it's very easy. Uh, when I want, I just chop it in with pasta or any other thing. But uh, mainly as a recipe, what I do is I just chop uh, garlic and olive oil and uh, and salt. And then I um, I chop the stock off and cook it with, with, uh, with the garlic and with the olive oil until it's soft. Then put the, uh, the leaves in at the end and have them wilt. And that's it. And that's it. And it's like magic. And I can eat it with as a side with uh, with like sausages or whatever like roast you do like I eat it as a side uh, or sometimes I put it in the fridge and the next day I put it in my sandwich it's really amazing uh, today I am, I'm gonna have that so I just have leftover rice and the chard and I put a, a tin of sardines in it and that's my lunch and it's so tasty so I just play with with chard and I really love it and it's easy to grow and once now I, I plant them in April now they are ready to harvest they are very productive and then I'll harvest them until November and they are still there in November they don't produce like you know they sit in the cold and again they come back in the in the springtime so in the springtime when, when I don't have any any uh, leaves I have chard and um, then they will flower around April but that time I have planted another batch of chard so you can see it's just like a whole process of what's not to love with chard. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it. And I, I really like to promote it because you cannot find in any supermarket. Uh, you can find only with organic market growers and things like that. But I think it, it's a good test. That, that yeah. is true, actually, because even yeah. if you go to ordinary run-of-the-mill green groceries or veggie shop, you don't see chard in yeah. there. You, you see kale, you see spinach, but chard yeah. really in just organic. Yeah, I, I really don't understand why though, like why you can't find it. Um, I don't know if it's a shelf life issue or, but they keep they keep very well. Mine, I harvest them and like if they are in the fridge in a bag, they can't keep for more than a week. So I don't I don't see why they're not there, and they're easy to grow in this country in this weather as well. So. I don't know. That is true, actually. I, I've noticed that when mm. I uh, buy a bunch of chard and I forget to use it for some reason, it sits in the fridge quite happily for over a week. Yeah. yeah. And I can use it the following week. But I'm going to try your very... It's like um alternative to sort of wilted spinach or cabbage, actually. Yes. It's really... Um, it is a good idea. I do use the stalks, actually. I was told off by one of the organic farmers <laughs> I told oh. you before that I don't utilize oh, the stock the main point is the stock and I know <laughs> and I was told of, and, it, and it's so pretty as well because yeah. it brings color into any so I started using it and I would keep the stock sometimes separately from the leaves and I would um, if I have some sort of stew that lacks color mm. I just mix it in and it instantly like brings yeah. this beautiful yeah. color to it or I would just throw it onto the top of a salad if I need some sort of yeah. color into green salad. 
Yeah, and also something you can find with spinach is that once you wilt it, you wilt it. It's so small. Yeah. So the stalk of chard gives it that yeah. content, you know, that uh, fiber as well. It will give you that. So it's. I think I, I really love it. Also, one what you with what I found with spinach is that if you wilt spinach or you sort of cook or steam spinach, you have to eat it right away. You can't use it mm. any other time. It needs to be used right away. Whereas I have steamed chard before. And I could keep leftover in the fridge and use it. And, and it's, the it's tastier the colder. That. Yeah, you can yeah, do that that's with very nice. And that is true. Chard it is then. Well, thank you so much yeah. for, <laughs> for sharing your recipe. Um, Baruch, it has been an absolute pleasure. You are a world of no knowledge. Um, oh, and you. Uh, you are so passionate as well. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's the only thing I have. I have no knowledge. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> do. Don't just tell yourself passion. short. It's a passion. I, I, I really love this. Your passion comes through so well and it's mm. infectious. And yeah. um, you're definitely making me quite excited. But I can't wait to buy a house yeah. and have a garden. I, just, oh, really? I, just, I don't <laughs> even want a house with a garden. I want a garden with a house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that, I think that was our choice when we when we buy our house. We, could, we couldn't agree or me and Susie wouldn't agree on any house at, at some point. We're seeing... But when we saw our house, we both loved it because there was a bigger space at the back and it was good. And that's, I think, the universe conspiring. You start your garden here and you learn a lot. And like, my life has changed. It's, it's, yeah. it's in, a, in a direction I have ever in my life imagined it before. And I don't know whether you realize, but I am, I am pretty sure that you're helping others change their life because whoever comes here to help you they're obviously learning and they're probably getting passion for growing food yeah. through you and through yeah. the experience and you you i'm pretty sure your your enthusiasm yeah. and passion is so infectious that loads of people will be growing their own now maybe even people who never thought of growing vegetables yeah. before i think it's also the naivety and the, the fearlessness even if they don't see the fear in me but I just do it and when we hang out here we have we have lots of fun we have lots I made such just lots of friends here and um, it, it is an explosion of people that I met after I start this it's just like an explosion you just can't imagine it like and the like all of them inspire me as much as I, I do inspire them and um, yeah uh, yeah, I think the love of it is that when when you when you see somebody go and do something uh, before because they did something with you, it's just, it's just amazing, isn't it? That's the outdoor life. It brings yeah. people together. So yeah, everybody, yeah. get out of your chairs, yeah, get out of I your know. office space. It's yeah. not good for you. Being out is good for you. Get out. Yeah. Get into your garden <laughs> or in somebody else's garden. garden. Not that I encourage come, trespassing. Come volunteer with me. Yeah, come volunteer to have <laughs> organics or far. Find any other yeah. market garden or organic farm near you. Offer your services. Go volunteer. Spend the time outdoors. It is amazing, and yeah. it, I feel it brings such a joy. And yes, it is hard work. Nobody says it isn't, yeah. but it is fun. Yeah, yeah, it is fun. It is fun, and it's very soothing, and um, it's very mindful, and it just gets you grounded. Yes. That. Food does that to you, isn't it? Yeah. You grow it, you eat it, you share it, you cook it. It's, food is amazing. It is, and it it definitely um, improves your... Um, well, it helps you connect with food mm. that you're eating. It helps you connect with nature. 
but also it really helps the relationship that we have with food when you see it grow when you see mm. how it's grown when you see what work goes into growing it and mm. um, it really helps your relationship with it and um, it it just the connection that we've lost over the decades that we've been kind of bred into these industrialized minds that sit in offices and work on computers Uh, we kind of need to get out of that mindset and and gardening definitely helps to get out of that mindset and connect reconnect with nature with the roots that with the living that we were actually um, meant for yeah this yeah. is what we were naturally meant to do be yeah. outdoors and grow our own food yeah yeah you know I, I, I'd just like to share a story with you that happened this Saturday when we opened our farm shop um, that mentality of not knowing where your food is from so we were on the stall it was me and uh, Judith Crozier she was helping me on the stall so we're standing there having a chat and this old man came and he said hi and he said um, and there were spring onions in the front. He said, how, how do you sell this spring onions? He says, just sell them as a bunch. Uh, and Jude said, oh, it's, it's 150 for a bunch. He said, do you know, they grow them in Egypt and a bunch is like 50p. And I just went, I, I just felt it. At first, I just didn't want to say anything. But then I said to him, look, I grow this myself here. I harvest them now. I don't use any chemicals. I don't use any fertilizers. And I do this with love. So my work needs a bit more than that. And then he just take 150, he gave us and take, take the bunch. But it makes me realize how industrialized our life is. And we have accepted uh, a bunch of spring onion that doesn't even taste like spring onion that is grown in somewhere else in the country. And I am from Ethiopia. I know how that growing condition is. And I know how people are treated in those places I know how much they are paid and the reason why they are 50p I know the reason for it do you know and that mentality that food should be cheap uh, because I can't get it cheap I'm not going to buy organic and it just doesn't add up and it shows our disconnection from our food system and that's why we need to bring people back to this type of production and show them what, what we're doing and feed them it because the taste is different and they realize when the taste is different they just realize oh this is different um, so yeah yeah and it's, it's, it's sometimes it's a bit disappointing but it's good because that's why we're here that's that's why that we are here to teach people uh, that this is real food and to teach kids to show kids where their food comes from um, and to inspire them to do to eat healthy you know so yeah it's sometimes it uh it gives you like an ache in your heart a little bit but it gives you a reason to be here you know i have a purpose rather than selling the veggies only you know (laughs) i can teach people as well and with that thought um where can people find you um do you have any more space for box subscriptions and if so how can people subscribe and um, when can they come to your organic garden market usually on social media so i'm on instagram at hahu organics and facebook as well at hahu organics 
I have few spaces left, like five spaces left on uh, subscription, so they can send me a message on Instagram and uh, they can subscribe for the season. Uh, other than that, they can come on every Saturday. We have a farm shop from 10 to 1. Um, and now I'm, I'm a part of another group called Neighbor Food. If you have heard of it, it's a good initiative. I really enjoy it. It's an online farmer shop. Uh, farmers market you can say and there are lots of producers on it uh, like meat producers egg producers cheese uh, veggie producers like me and we are all coming together you start uh, the online market opens on Thursday and closes on Tuesday and pick up is on on Thursday again you can pick your veggie up or a box like bakers so many things on it it's it's really nice because I was looking for something for a person to go okay I want to eat local where would I get local? And you just have to go to the butcher there, uh, the grower there. Like instead of that, it is one place you can get everything. It's not, I'm, not, I'm promoting it in a way, but it's, I'm promoting it because I am fascinated by the idea uh, that we need to push something like that. One person can go and get local things in one spot. So you c they can find me on Neverfood. Uh, it's side markets. It started in Cork and the Belfast one is a new one. It's only been five weeks so far. So that's where you can get our produce that is an amazing idea yeah it's really fascinating that is really good so that's sort of like an alternative to your uh, weekend St. George's market yes some sort so yeah. yeah you yeah you can find everybody on that and then you order online and you pick it up on Thursday that is amazing so guys how organics um, and organic garden market on Saturdays 10 to 1 at Haho Organized Garden and um, if you uh, come here and you catch the weather as it is today yeah. it is at such an amazing place to be and spend your morning on Saturday and pick up some beautiful produce and I believe you sell flowers as well don't you? On yes yes oh I should have mentioned um, yes we do flowers Christine is my uh, Christine Cullen she she is my one of my amazing helpers she grew the she helps me grow the, the flowers she comes, she makes bouquets and she gives them to me and I sell, I sell them. So all credit to her. Uh, she's uh, Flowers of Elegance in, in Belfast. She has a flower shop. So yeah, we grow flowers as well. Oh, that is amazing. amazing. And the flowers here are, oh my God, so yeah. many colors, yeah. so many different kinds. It's only early season now. <laughs> they are beautiful. They are beautiful. Well, Brooke, it has been an absolute pleasure. I won't keep yeah. you any longer because I'm pretty sure you have a lot of work to do here. Yeah. And yeah. it's getting really hot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So. Thank you very much for coming and sharing my story. This is the first time I've ever had uh, to tell what I think and what I say. After my chat with Baruch, I was gifted a sample veg box with loads of beautiful veggies and herbs and a lot of chard, of course, to make Baruch's simple wilted chard side dish. And I've made it twice since. And it is one of the simplest and best things you can eat. And um, it's super fast. It's super, super tasty. It's a really great way to get some veg in you. So if you'd like to subscribe to Hahu Organics Weekly Veg Box Scheme, contact Baruch through social media at Hahu Organics. I've already done so and requested mine. And if you enjoyed this episode or any other, please leave us a review or rating on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast. It takes about 30 seconds and it really helps other podcast listeners to find the right content for them and it helps content makers like myself find the right kind of audience. 
And if you have any comments of constructive criticism, suggestions, or have a guest in mind that you'd like to hear on the podcast, please drop me a line on social media or email me at thesweetspod at gmail.com. Have a lovely couple of weeks. Come down to Hahu Organics Veggie Market one Saturday when you're free, because it is a place you simply need to experience, especially on a sunny day. And uh, in the meantime, have some chart and stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.